Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Amen. 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 I, uh, man, you know, when I, uh, God, I'm trying not to get started off on the wrong foot, chasing tangents, but I just, uh, I got excited. You know, we, this, uh, we, we, when we preached, I think in October, our building message, um, we said, hey man, as we approach how we give, uh, uh, think about the building, it's going to be functionality first, um, but then beauty second, um, something that gives off um, in, in some way, some measure of how much we appreciate and love God. So, right meeting and doing church in a gym is a concession. Okay, we all agree. Well, let me just tell you how we think about it. This is not our optimal place of worship. Okay, I don't want to be here forever. And I don't want to be here next year. And if God were to give a windfall and we would be out of here next week, I'd be out of here next week. But I'm grateful because we get to worship here. Uh, But I do look forward to uh, something that sits in the center of where we gather that symbolizes what is central to us. And when we look at it, it's something we all are proud of too. It's like, yes, that thing is where we hear from God and his word. Amen. That's just a vision for free. It's just, that's just my own crazy thing. Uh, can I pray real quick? Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for these, your people. And thank you that you have forever joined yourself to those who have repented and believed on you in faith. Um, We desire to hear from you today, and we desire to look more like you. Would you do that for us? In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, man, I'm ready, okay? I'm ready. I had to cut a song because I was so ready. It's like, ooh, I don't want to be here till uh, 2 o'clock, so let me just trim one, and we'll put it on the back end because it's, I'm loaded. I'm ready. So pray for me up here. I don't want to just kill you. I don't want to drum you to death. Um, But I'm ready uh, to preach and to love on you um, through speaking God's word. Uh, I am going to challenge you today, um, and, but I'm also going to bring some sweet comfort too. Um, but put, fashion your seatbelts. It's the first one. We're going we gonna to get in there, uh, but God's going to be kind to us, and uh, he's going to give us what we need to do what we need to do. Because that's what grace does, right? Grace enables us to do what truth demands of us. Amen. So we're never forsaken. If God calls us to something, he never will not provide the resources to do what he's asking us to do. Um, and so uh, we'll see that. I, um, you know, many of y'all kind of know that my second job is to be the volunteer traffic guard in the morning for my kids' schools. And, uh, uh, you know, it's really confusing the people because um, they'll see me out there and they'll be like, oh, man, hey, coach, because they just assume you know, a uh, brother with the whistle in athletic gear is probably doing something with the kids in PE. Uh, and so it really perplexes them. It's like, oh, and he shows up every day, so he must be on staff. Um, and so, uh, man, what does that guy do? And then they're like, oh, okay, he's a pastor. Okay, cool. Uh, well, every once in a while, I get curious about other people too. And so I was curious about this one cat. And um, I remember asking a friend, I was like, man, what do they do? And uh, And my friend was like, listen, bro, they have their whole life optimized. I said, what you mean? 
It's like, man, you know, they have their whole life situated to where they do the least amount of work they could possibly do to get the most amount of gain they could do. So they have telemarketers that make calls for them, that set up things so that they don't waste their time setting up the things themselves. They pay somebody to do that so that they can get efficient on the exact amount of time they need to spend with the exact amount of people to do the least amount of work so they can free up and optimize their whole thing. I was like, wow, man, that seems really clever. And uh, I imagine uh, that if we were all kind of being honest, uh, that's an American ideal. It's probably our ideal. How do we uh, get the least bloodied? How do we get the least fatigued and get the most out of it? Amen, somebody. You can be honest. I ain't, I ain't shaming you. Come on. Put your hands up in the air. It's like, Lord, come on now. I want to spend the least amount of effort and I want to get the maximal amount of return. Hey, that is a, hey, I will, let me just tell you, that is a great common grace principle. It is not necessarily a kingdom principle. Okay, that's, that's what it's not. But I'm not making you stop that. Um, but I am trying to call us back in an essence uh, to what it means to kind of be all in with the kingdom of God. Um, and what we'll kind of keep revisiting today is to be all in for the kingdom is to have a clear goal. What is your goal, Christian? You got to have a clear telos, man. Where are you headed? A clear goal. You got to have a clear why and you have to have evident action. Okay? You want to be all in in the kingdom. When we see it in Scripture, it is a clear goal. It's a clear why and a reason for what you're going after, and it's evident action. And I want to put that before us in 2024 um, that, hey, at the ad, we're going to push you to be all in. Get all up in this thing. Don't optimize this thing. Amen, lights and walls. Amen, lights and walls. And so um, as we do that, We'll visit a very familiar passage of scripture from Luke 18, the rich young ruler. Many of y'all have heard this passage um, over and over and over again. Um, and praise God, you, you do know um, that scholars would say that these stories that we see in the Bible, in Jesus' earthly ministry, 30 to 33, the disciples could have heard these things over 500 times. Right? And you see even the, the beauty of how the gospel evangelists, they write these stories. Sometimes um, one of the evangelists hears it this way, and then when Aaron preached, a, it was a perfect example. Uh, all four gospels was the woman in, all four gospels. But we find little different pieces of information in all of them. Right? And so it's this, this cool thing of just perspective. And so all I'm telling you is sometimes you don't need to go find new things to study in the Scripture. Sometimes you just need to keep mining what you know and keep getting fresh revelation about different things that God has uh, done and is revealing through the stories that he's told. What you see in Luke 18 through Luke 19, maybe a little bit of Luke 17, is you see uh, uh, Luke capture up for us Pictures of heart posture. Everybody say pictures 
of heart posture. And it's the heart postures of the kingdom, right? Um, what we find at the beginning of these little stories, these little vignettes, um, Luke 18 starts with uh, this persistent widow who actually keeps bothering Jesus. And then Jesus unveils a kingdom principle that the persistent people in the kingdom end up getting to the core and the juiciness of what the kingdom is. Persist. Everybody say persist. Then we see this parable, this infamous parable about the, that really captures the essence of the gospel and your humility. The parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And the, the Pharisee is like, oh, I thank you that you didn't make me like this man. And we see Jesus is trying to help us see that that is not at all like the posture of people who I entrust my kingdom to. Not at all. And then we see this beautiful picture of a man who can't even lift his face. He's beating his chest because he knows he's not worthy to be in the kingdom on his own merits. Those are the people who get the kingdom of God. The people who understand that even on their best day, they don't deserve to be called his child. Come on, man. Those people get him and they get him in full. Then we see this beautiful picture of Jesus blessing this, these little children. These people of low status, they literally have no societal status. They're dependent upon everybody else and everything for everything. And Jesus says, yes, those little people who mean nothing societally, oh, those are the people who I delight in giving my kingdom to. So we see these pictures of what kingdom heart posture looks like. And so when you get to the rich young ruler story, you need to understand that this is just a continuation of that thing. We see a picture of what kingdom heart posture either is or isn't. And we get to the rich young ruler. And let's see what the goal of this rich young ruler was. Scripture says that a certain ruler, right, we believe Pharisee, probably someone learned in the law, asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, one of the things that's also consistent with Luke is that this is the money question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? If y'all really um, uh, Baptocostal out there and you were raised that third missionary Baptist, what must I do to be saved? This is the question, right? What must I do to be able to get into the kingdom of God? This is the money question. Circle it, write it down. Um, Luke highlights it in different ways. As a matter of fact, there's a story um, in Luke 10 where we end up getting to the Good Samaritan. It's the same question. What must I do to be saved? This is key. This is not something that is inherently understood, but this is the question of life. How do I inherit the eternal life? I know how I'm biologically born, but how am I spiritually reborn, and how do I become an inheritor and a joint heir with the King of kings and Lord of lords? It's the money question, and that's the goal. That is the goal, to have eternal life. And in verse 19, he says, why do you call me good? And Jesus answered, no one is good except God. Now, this is not Jesus refuting whether or not he's morally good or not, but it's actually part B of verse 19 that Jesus is trying to get at. No one is good except God. Don't call me good if you're not going to call me God. You could admire good people, but you got to follow God. You can respect good people, but you got to give your life to God. Okay, you understand what I'm saying here? 
Don't call me good, homie, unless you're calling me God. And if you're calling me God, then there's have those, that statement has certain implications. And so now we understand his goal to inherit eternal life. But now Jesus is about to take a layer off. Say, I hear your goal, but let me see your motivation. I want to talk about your why. Why do you want this goal, right? And so we get to see that in verse 20. He says, you know the commandments. Jesus is like, hey, homie, you know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy. You know, it's funny. I didn't even see that until actually just now. You know, when you look at the Decalogue, Exodus 20, you see these 10 laws, right? And then they're usually broken up. Theologians would break them up by the vertical laws, the vertical commandments and those that are horizontal. You know what I'm saying? And so essentially there's, there's some that are designated and clearly to put no other God before him. That's vertical. And then adultery and stealing and coveting, those are the vertical thing. How we flourish as a society by loving one another. And I see that it's funny. Jesus says, you know the commandments, and he doesn't give them any of the vertical laws. And he says to the horizontal laws... The rich guy was like, yeah, I, I do all that. I do all that. I don't commit adultery, homie. I don't murder. I don't get kill nobody. I don't steal. I don't take from nobody. I don't lie. I honor my father and mother. Jesus don't push back on him. He says, all right, cool. He says, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, but you still lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now I'm about to mess you up, and I've been trying to mess you up for the whole five years that I've been preaching to you. I've been trying to tell you that you got to fix your soteriology, that you have taken the reformers and what they were rightly pushing back against, against the Roman Catholic Church, and you kind of went on some tangents, and then you started making some bad theology out of some stuff, because here, I'm about to fix you now, because the gospel himself, Jesus, says that the way to eternal life is by doing this work. I'm about to mess you up now. What was the question? What was the goal? Hey, good teacher, how can I inherit eternal life? Now, to all of these 21st century Christians out here, the gospel is about relationship and it's about grace. How about Jesus, the gospel? Isn't he going to say that, y'all? Hey, it's not about your works, brother. It's about just believing in me. What's he do? He said, no, my guy, do this thing. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Heresy. I got to find another church to preach at. Some of y'all look tight right now. I see you getting your fist clenched up. You're like, wait, wait a minute. Yes, the gospel himself gives a work as a means of accessing his kingdom. But why does he do it, y'all? It's because the actions reveal the heart. And it always has, and it always will. Come on now. Aaron just preached at us that the lady came crashing in to where Jesus was reclining at table. All of a sudden, she burst open this expensive year-long bottle of ointment. She puts it on Jesus' feet, and Jesus responds to the whole crowd, do you see this woman? 
When I walked in here, you did nothing to acknowledge my greatness. But when this woman walked in, her actions verified how she feels about me. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. Don't play yourself. It's instinctual. Love is what love does, my friends. Don't trick yourself. Love is what it does, my friends. Don't trick yourself. Oh, what you believe in your heart, it's got to be verified by some receipts at some point, my friends. Come on now. And the reason why Jesus hems him up like this, so he could get to the fallacy, and he's got he's to tear off this vignette of what he thinks. Oh, I've been doing it. Well, here's the thing. If you actually knew your law, then you would have known the first and the greatest commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Number one, number one. And if I'm God, and if there's nothing else before me, then you will follow me. And giving all to follow me will just be a part of what it means to follow me. Tim Keller says this, once again, just helping us with our understanding of grace and works and how those things work together. That grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. It is true. Ephesians 2 is timeless, and it's true that no, you cannot earn your position in the kingdom of God by what you do. That is true, but grace is not opposed to effort. And some of y'all have hemmed yourself. You got yourself caught. You think you're so smart. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so many things you do, and then you say, oh, because, you know, I'm under grace, not under law. What are you talking about? What are you? No, my friend. Yes, if somebody's trying to tell you that you can't be a member of this church because you don't go to all these things, okay, yeah, find another ministry. That ain't true. And if somebody's quizzing you and and they're examining you, and if you don't know and memorize all the scriptures and verses and they say they're denying you fellowship at the Lord's table, get out that church. That's heresy. That ain't what it is. But if your church in Alaska in 2052 or in 2024 is telling you, hey, my friend, let's, let's, we want to push you to more evident actions that verify what you claim in your heart. You are in a faithful biblical community. That's what we do. Love is what love does. Because Jesus is God, he does require fidelity. And because the rich young ruler does not follow Jesus, it's verifying he doesn't consider Jesus to be God. You could be good, but he ain't God. And I pray today that none of us have Jesus in the good category. Oh, he good. He's provided nice moral lessons for my life, good codes to live by, good, good things that soothe my anxious heart sometimes, but he ain't God. Far be it from us. Following Jesus is not merely 
an internal decision to, it's, it's an, internal, uh, um, an uh, internal decision, but it's an external decision that must be verified with external actions. So we see the, the goal. So I want to be a part of this kingdom. We see the why of the rich young ruler get just dismantled. It's like, man, I don't know why you're doing it, but you're not doing it because you actually think I'm God. And if you actually thought I was God, then you would have evident actions. You would have receipts. Let's dive into that a little further. Verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Y'all, salvation is free, but following Jesus just has a price. Just be straight up. That's not fine print. That's just straight up. Salvation is absolutely 100% free, but it's hard to follow Jesus. <laughs> I know that's not, that's not something you're going to put on your coffee cup. But you know what? I bet if we told the truth about what it looks like to follow Jesus, we probably have less deconversions. But if we told the truth about what it really costs to follow Jesus, we probably get people who, once they get to year 10 and they're like, man, when I'm going to cash in on all the, they'd be a little less surprised because they'd understand, bro, well, we actually knew what we signed up for. If this was countercultural and it was different and it'd be tedious and there would be some hard days. Specifically, Luke chooses to highlight the, the difficulty of wealthy people to follow Jesus. Why? Because the wealthy people have accumulated more things. And things in Jesus always eventually come clashing. Jesus always, I, I was writing notes to myself. Sometimes I, I, I make my notes in urban culture. I reformat them. There's something more ecumenical for y'all. But what I wrote in my notes was, Jesus is not afraid to pull up. He pull up to your relationship. He pull up to your job. He pull up to your body image. And he be like, yeah, I just came through to see who was God. That's it. I just pulled up to see who was God. You know what I'm saying? Which one you going to choose? Yeah, you know, back when I was, you know, Jerry Springer and Maury and all those, and then all of a sudden, you know, We've got a surprise, and then all of a sudden, the, the other lover come out, and then the person in the middle like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do, because I love Bobby, and I love Johnny, and I don't know what to do. And it's like, hey, you got to choose what we going to do. What we going to do? Jesus loves to pull up. Jesus is not playing games with your idols. He not you playing games. He not. He loves to pull up. He say, hey, no, no, it's Okay. What's it going to be? I just want to know what it's going to be. 2024, I want to know what it's going to be for you. And I believe all of us in this room, including the pastor, the officers, the staff, and the volunteer leaders, all of us are constantly being barraged with things that want to king of the hill. They want to uh, supplant Jesus as the king of our heart. And I think all of us have to prayerfully come back to, hey, man, God, is it? What is it? And where do I need to ask your grace to say, 
no, he's my man. That's every year, y'all. You don't, you don't ever grow out of that. Do you understand that? Every month, every year, every week, something is challenging for your fidelity. And we have to be vigilant and we'll constantly, constantly, over the span of our lifetime, we will make a trillion decisions to re-put Jesus back on the throne of our heart. That's a normal Christian life. I got off course. Jesus, get back on the top. Oh, I, I let the relationship, uh-uh, get out. Jesus, you, I let my job, uh-uh, uh-uh, Jesus, get back. That's what we do. You're in good company. But if you ever, th- oh, yeah, 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 I made a decision long ago that Jesus was my Lord. Oh, okay, that's cool. You read up on that? Or we just making assume assumptions? You know, some of y'all been Christian for a long time, but the epistle warns us, take heed lest you fall. Some of us are struggling with the sin of complacency. We think we've done a thing and that was the, okay, it's done. Oh no, my friend, it's a constant war. Let's re-up. Let's make sure he is the one who's the king of our heart. And we see how this juxtaposition, once again, I told you, man, read whole books. I just challenge you in your devotional life, Man, get Sarah Young and get Paul David Tripp, all that cool. But make sure you read whole volumes of books. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes we miss out on the essence of these dudes actually constructed books and they constructed them in a way for a certain reason. Because what you get in Luke 18 is the rich young ruler. And what you get Jesus saying is this admonishment of how difficult it is for wealthy people to enter the kingdom because they have to part with so much. And then what do you get in Luke 19? Zacchaeus. Hey! You get that rich man who shows you what it looks like when his heart has encountered Jesus. Yeah. I'll part with it all. As a matter of fact, I'm going to part with it all and I'm going to make some things right that I made wrong. Ooh, Jesus, you get the picture, you get the antithesis of the rich young ruler in Zacchaeus. Now you tell me what Zacchaeus, if Zacchaeus is optimizing his following Jesus. That brother encountered Jesus and said, what you want, you deserve everything. When we think about what it looks like to be all in, to have clear goals, to, to have clear motivation and whys, and to have evident action, I, I always laugh because I don't think um, Aaron realizes this, but one day she said, time, talent, treasure, and it's, that was the first time I ever heard it, and it stuck with me, so I always give Aaron credit for that. Um, stand up, Aaron. You got the baby with you? No, you don't have to put her up, just saying. Y'all, y'all know that's Aaron, and that's Mario. And they got our little miracle baby over there, too. And the Lord's been doing some miracles at this church. Praise God, man. I just want to tell you, did y'all enjoy praying the other day? Tangent. We can edit this out. Family moment. The Lord's been doing some things. And, man, I just want to tell y'all, especially uh, little, uh, little Ruthie Warner, y'all prayed on in. Prayed her on in healthy, and God was doing some miraculous little things y'all don't even know about. But it's, it wasn't in spite of your prayers, let me just tell you that. Oh, God was using the prayers of the faithful. Oh, God does some things. Anyway.
time, talent, treasure. When we start thinking about priority and where Jesus fit, I think these are three easy categories, time, talent, treasure. The evident action, like, yo, do I have evident action that verifies where my heart allegiance is, where I spend my time, what's getting my talent, what's getting my treasure? Now, what I want to be sure to make sure you understand, when we start talking about all in, I'm not saying that I want the only thing you do is to wake up and wear a, put on an Avenue t-shirt and sweatshirt and walk around with your Bible and just praying and worshiping and singing car songs and calling Tucker, Tucker, can you sing? That, that, I'm not saying the only thing I want you to do is Avenue stuff, or I'm not even saying the only thing I want you to do is read your scripture and pray all day. It's not what I mean. What I am saying is that following Jesus and being all in means a couple things, and I'll blitz them at you. It just it really means he's the final and he's the ultimate step. He's the first step. He's the final step. He's the ultimate step. Um, I love, for those, once again, theologians, the differentiation. The old um, reformers, they, they differentiated some things as they were coming up with the five solas, and you got the sol, sola scriptura, right? Uh, there's a difference between solo and sola scriptura, right? Solo scriptura just means, hey, man, the only thing I read is scripture. And they, they said, no, 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 that's not what we want to put out there. It's sola. It just means that scripture is the final backstop. It's the final authority on all things concerning life and practice. It's not the only thing, right? So if we, if we go to a cash register and the person say it's $5, you don't look at your Bible and consult the scriptures. What is $5, right? I was laughing with my son because my, my son, he about to get swole on y'all. He, he about to have a thousand all-purpose yards on y'all next year, you know what I'm saying? But this Christmas, you know, we had to invest in some protein shakes and situations, you know, so we, so we get right. Well, you know, he come in the kitchen and, you know, it's been a couple times. He's like, Dad, is it three to one, one to two? You're trying to get his little ratio for his little milkshake. I was like, brother. Is one to three. I said, this is why I sent you. Hello. Two. I said, this is why I sent you to school, brother, so you can learn these truths that daddy can't teach you during family devotion. That actually learning your numbers and your time fact drills, those are important to life too. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, when I say all in, I'm not saying for you, the only thing you know is when you go to stand before the magistrate, um, Psalms 1 says, blessed is the man. Now, wait a minute. Did you speed or did you not speed? Okay? All right? Just come on, y'all. Help me out. But the Bible's got to be your first. It's got to be your final. It's got to be your ultimate. And so what that requires is some reordering in your life. Man, I love when we get to spring cleaning. You throw out, it's like, man, that's been sitting over there too long. We got to get that out. It's just not a part of the decor, how I want to do my house. And I think every year, I love what January provides. It provides us an opportunity to do some reordering. If you need to do some reordering, would you just raise your hand and say, hey, we not, I need to just get some things reordered. I want to make sure that my actions align with my values. I'm not going to wait till June to look back and say, man, I wish I would have had done it a different kind of way. I want to get it right now. I want to set myself up now. And so what we have to ask ourselves is what gets our best? Does God get your best? What gets your best? What has your heart? 
What gets my butt for you? What, what is the thing that you would drop everything for? I'm sitting in a meeting, all of a sudden you get the call. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, boss, I appreciate you, but little John John, he's sneezing Oreos, okay? Got to go. That happened before. We want, I have said this in regards to our intimacy with the Lord, this first statement, that we want to turn to Jesus first. We want to turn to Jesus most often and most confidently. Seeking the Lord. I pray that's part of your life. Seeking the Lord, turning to him first, turning to him most often, turning to him most confidently. That's my, my personal definition, what it means to seek the Lord. I don't care about morning time, quiet time, in between time, whatever time. Do you turn to him first? Do you turn to him most often? Or do you turn to him most confidently? That's what it means to seek the Lord. But as far as our service and being all in, that there are no other gods before him, what, what, what gets my earnest energy? What gets my best? We want to serve Jesus first. We want to serve him regularly, and we want to serve him on demand, on call. Does Jesus still, look, look at me, look, look at me. I'm laughing. I'm glad Gina walked out. So I got morning duty in the morning. So I'm getting people ready, doing what I do, 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 do. And then, you know, I'm like, hey, I got to be out of the house by a certain time. Y'all probably don't realize this about me, but I do have some pretty little defined little boxes I like to, to play in. This probably surprises you a whole lot. But I got a very clear little structure to how I want to do my thing. It's something I got to repent. But I'm like, hey, I'm walking out that door by this time. Baby, can you? I be hurting y'all. I'm like, Jesus, help me. I don't know what to do. I don't love but God. I got to die. Hey. And the other day we had one of those moments, and she was gracious. She was like, you know what? Sometimes I confess, I get mad at that little traffic thing you do. Because, <laughs> and she's like, she's like, because I want, I want to know that you would drop that for me. And she's right. And I'm right, too. <laughs> but does Jesus still have drop everything power in your life? Have you optimized your church life? Or does Jesus still have drop everything power? Does he still have drop everything authority? Or is it just, ah, 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 oh, it's not, suck, oh, oh, I, I, no, it's not. And I, I already, and I already, amen, amen. But I think when we go back to Exodus 23, and the very first and ultimate command we have from Scripture is that there is nothing else before him. I feel like then that means we got to serve him first. We got to serve him consistently and regularly. And if he's the ultimate thing, he's still got to have some drop everything authority.
He got to be able to blow up the schedule, y'all. He got to be able to interrupt your regularly scheduled programming in 24. I think that's what all in means. And I think what it's, all, what it's always meant. He never comes conveniently all the time. I think that's what it means for him to be God. He's not an accessory. He doesn't fit in. Like either he's the main thing or he's nothing to you. Just be honest with you, man. Either he's good or he's God. Rich young ruler said, nah, he good. He ain't my God. Because he knew if he's God, that I gotta sell everything I have and follow him. How is the Lord? Seriously, close your eyes. You know, we always, we have these families that live in our neighborhood, that go to our schools, and we have those cool little monikers and things we put. It's like, oh, you know, they're the such and such family. It's because we, we have observed them over the period of time, how they move, where they spend their money, take their vacations, things that they do when they're not here with us. They're there over there, and we kind of taken the catalog, and we know even if we've never sat down with a family and shared a meal with them, we kind of get this evidence. We, we see things that are important to them. Oh, y'all, you know, they're really into, you know, University of Penn because such and such, you know, we kind of have a thing, and we don't even have to have real deep conversations to figure these things out. Is it evident by where you spend your time? your talent, your treasure, that Christ and his kingdom are just important things in your world. When people say that of you, oh, oh, he not here today. Oh, you know he probably at his church. You know, you know, church is real important to them. And when they not with us, they usually there. And we can see by the way that they've organized their lives and their world. You can look up at me. And we do this not just individually, but we do this communally. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The very first structure for a church before there was executive pastors and lead pastors and organizational charts, the only thing they knew was, hey, we need to be together doing our thing. We can't do it in silos. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That scripture just fascinates me. Is that your testimony? Do you believe in something so deeply that you'd be willing to sacrifice and lay down your thing to do our thing? Because that's what was happening in the first church. You don't hear nothing about 
kids and extracurriculars and jobs and whatever, all we see in Acts 2 was that they were so blown away by whatever happened on Calvary that they made a commitment. Hey, man, we need to be together, hearing, teaching, taking care of each other, throwing practical things into, because we got to do this thing together. Whatever this thing is, we got to do it together. I pray that as you made your goals for 2024, it didn't come at the exclusion of the people that you were supposed to be living out your faith with together. I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to do a thing. I'm going to grow. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, but it's a we y'all. It's a we thing too. Once again, all in does not mean that showing up at the avenue is the only thing you do. But I want you to feel the burden of, but it's the one thing that we share together in common. It's not living in Memphis. It's not loving Memphis. It's not loving the Grizzlies. It's not loving the Tigers. It's Jesus in this place that we share together. And it's the one thing we actually hold in common. And does it have priority in your world? Or are you just squeezing it in on the margin? Someone caught me on the way out of church last year. They say, Pastor Tim, I'm looking for a new place to live. Me and my wife, we're going to get married. We're just looking for a new place to live. And I don't know, we're just being prayerful. It's like, but you know what? I don't know, man. We want to find a place where... I could find something that I could do with my hands and it could take care of my family, but we also want to find a great church home. And I think I could just see the wheels turning in his head. I think he came to his own, he's like, man, well, what if I just moved to a place because they had a, <laughs> a good church? And then I trusted God to provide the job. I'm just saying, yo, your receipts tell the truth on what you think is most valuable. This is the first time I ever heard that was Mark Dever actually preaching. He was like, yeah, man, you know, sometimes we encourage our families. They're looking at colleges and things like that. But I tell my members that, you know what, I wouldn't pick a college that there wasn't a good faith community to have your child aligned with. And it sounded so crazy, but if church and following Jesus is the most important thing in your world, then the other way seems crazy. I'm not sending my kid to some place if he says he's a Christian that they don't have a good place for him to worship. Why? That's a bad investment. And I'd pay $200,000 to keep you walking with Jesus. Because that's what's most important to us. Come on, yo. What is it? Our kiddos are watching. Gina was, she was somewhere and she was like, man, you know what? We're just watching over the holidays. She, was just, she made this statement. She was like, man, you can just tell how important church was to my aunt and my mom just by the way they live their, their lives. And we made so many jokes, and now I've lived long enough to regret it. 
Because we live, made so many jokes about showing up and being at church seven out of seven days of the week. Now you tell me, is our society any better, any happier because we got away from that? We made that the butt of the joke. And now we're more anxious, we're more stressed out. Now come on now. What was it? What is it? And I'm just telling you, I for one, I've lived long enough to regret it. And I understand that how we move is forming the next generation of young Christians. Do you realize people are watching you? They're watching you. Are we raising the next generation of reverent, faithful, passionate worshipers? Do they know that, oh, Jesus is really important to my mom? He's super important to my mom because she fill in the blank. Like Jesus and his church is really important to my dad because, or will they 20 years from now, yeah, man, tell us what your parents were like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, were they Christian? Yeah. How'd you see that? Well, we went to church on Sunday. Where are you getting connected with God's body? Where are you growing? Where are you allowing the church to form you? Or is the church still just getting your scraps? Have you situated your world and now you're just trying to fit the Ave in and God's kingdom in wherever there are vacancies? Okay, amen. How about your giving, your treasure? We say that prayer. Lord, I want to give faithfully, cheerfully, sacrificially. Faithfully, cheerfully, sacrificially. Can I just, in 2024, let me just be honest with you. First of all, I pray that some of y'all would just listen to the, your elders. We, we put a thing out there for you, and we asked you, we asked you graciously, hey, we got this campaign, and God's going to be faithful, but don't stop giving your regular tithes and offerings and giving it to the campaign. Some of y'all did exactly what we said not to do. Oh, yeah, I'm going to take a little bit from that. And it's like, oh, no, no. Wait, guess what? I'm just telling you, if you keep doing that, what, what that's going to do, it's going to diminish what we're able to do here, which is the reason why people want to keep giving over there. Please don't do that. Let God take care of the campaign. Give regularly. We knew early. We had some, um, some things. Some of y'all said, oh, I tithe. And your tithe means you give 1% of your income, okay? And we just want to help you. That traditionally, that's not what the biblical tithe meant, okay? So biblical tithing is 10% of your income. Now, in any member, have you ever heard anybody from this church ever tell you that you need to give 10% of your income to this church? Have you ever heard it? Because you ain't never heard it. And then some of y'all are like, oh, but I'm about grace giving. Gotcha. <laughs> now I gotcha. Because I'm going to tell you this. Grace never gives the minimal amount. <laughs> You're not under grace giving. There's nobody I love who just gets just enough. My baby love Coke and Butterfingers and whatever. My kids love their little thing. We pull up. And nobody just gets the bare minimum who I love. I'm always trying to figure out 
because it's coming from a different place. Obligatory giving says, what do I need to give? Grace giving says, come on, what you want? What I'm asking you as we continue to make him number one, prioritize this house. Be here. Be present. I'm asking you in your treasure, if you're motivated by grace, let it truly be motivated by grace. And give faithfully. Give sacrificially, but give it cheerfully. I'm asking, you know, we do say this in our membership, that over time we want the Lord to increasingly get more of our hearts, not less. I hope that by the time we 80, I, it's evident that the Lord has more square footage in my heart, not the same amount. Amen, life and walls. Oh, Lord, I already told you what I was going to give you when I was 18. And that's what you're going to get. This year, 18, 18%, Lord. You're 6%. How many of y'all want the Lord to have more? This is how it concludes. People will observe in this conversation. And everybody, verse 26, says, those who heard ask, who then can be saved? <laughs> yes. Everybody say yes. I don't, I don't, I don't. Everybody got the sobriety of the moment like, uh-oh, Houston, we got a problem. Jesus just asked this man to sell everything he had. So their, their deduction was logically like, well, shoot, we got a problem. If he asked everybody to give up their everything, what are he going to ask of me? This is hard. They say, well, who can be saved? Oh, come on, man. Now you get grace. Ah! Because what's impossible with man <laughs> is possible with God. It was never about you and your little things. It was never about how many consecutive devotions you spent in the morning. It was never about how many times you were able to get yourself free from sexual sin. It was never about that. But if you're not willing to part with that, it's showing me that you actually don't want me. See, it's the willingness, it's the motivation, it's underneath the heart. What's underneath the hood that makes you a legalist and a real follower of Jesus? It's not actually the actions, but if you are not willing to part with the things, if you are not willing to repent, if you are not willing to turn and make him your number one goal, then it's a non-starter. It's never been whether or not you've been able to be an A-plus student, B-plus, none of that. But if you're not willing to at least come to class, oh, but if you just show up, then the impossible will truly take place. And I take sinners and I make them saints. And I love this. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all to follow you. And I love this. I love, pay attention. Jesus doesn't say, hey, buddy, it doesn't take all that. 
I know that's making you mad. That was the perfect time for Jesus to say, oh, you giving up all those things to follow me? That's not really what I require. <laughs> Some of y'all big mad at me. Jesus don't correct him. He does not correct him. But you know what he does do? Look at verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. You know what Jesus does? In Luke 18, it is a call to a radical reordering of your life. And it's also an invitation to the blessed life. You think going all in for Jesus is about to take something from you. And Jesus is actually saying, no, no, no. When you are willing to go all in on me, I'm about to give something to you. What Jesus is saying is he doesn't correct them when he says, man, we give all things to follow you. Jesus doesn't stop them and say, oh, man, cut that back a little bit. What Jesus does is he doubles down. He doubles down. He says there ain't going to be one person in human history who doesn't have the same testimony as you that I gave everything to follow you. And Jesus said, and I'm good for it. I'm good for it. The amount of blessing that I have for people who are willing to put me first, nothing can compare. Jesus is saying, if you set your mark on making him first and going all in, that nobody's going to regret that decision. Nobody. No one will ever utter, I gave Jesus my everything. And what did he give me in return? No one. When they get to the end and they look back, everyone will have the same testimony. I gave all to follow Jesus, and I would do it again. Emmerich, you can come on back, brother. Jesus says, Peter, on you, I'm going to build my church. And y'all know Peter. Peter's like, <laughs> you know, some of my, fa my, my favorite videos is uh, Benny Hinn, let the bodies hit the... This is some for another day. It is a highlight reel of Benny Hinn just slaying folks in the spirit. It's probably about seven, ten minutes long. It's a, it is a very... Um, can I tell you how much of a bonehead Peter was? I think Peter has enough vignettes. He could fill up like a whole five-minute volume of all his blunders in Scripture. Just all the ways that that's probably not the way to follow Jesus he could just fill up a whole five-minute YouTube video of just all, cutting people's ear off, talking big, rebuking Jesus. Brother, rebuke Jesus. I mean, you could just literally fill it up. I do not think it is. I know with 100% certainty that the one Jesus said I'm going to build my church upon, it is not 
accidental. And I know that one of the primary reasons is because of you going to build your church with him? Him? The one who's so big and bad, I never deny you. Oh, Jesus! Y'all, that video, Jesus Christ! I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry! I'm sorry, it's, it's so much going in my head, so much. Pray for me. But you know what I love about it, though? I think that's the picture. I think that's a picture for us. And some of y'all, you kind of came into 2024, even as I preach. You know what you're thinking? You're like, okay, what's one small right thing I can do? If Jesus' grace forgives everything, then that even means there's grace for people who get to March and they did not live up to what they promised to do in January. And the blood is still fresh. And you don't have to get kicked out. So why in the world would you make small goals if you know it's already paid for? If, if Jesus is building his church out of dudes who swore up and down, I never leave you, and he get grace, you think that's any less gonna be any less for you? So why would you approach 2024 already making accommodations for what you can and cannot do instead of approaching 2024 fully reliant on what you know is good? I know, I know he got grace. So even if I don't do what I actually said I was going to do and want to do, I know it's grace there. Is that any way to honor the grace of God? It's like, man, is this really evidence that you don't really believe the gospel? I'm just going, I'm going to try this one little thing. Just one, and it's like, do you actually believe that there's nothing you could do or not do that would make your daddy love you any more or less? Do you actually believe that? You say it, but do you actually believe it? Because if you believed it, you'd keep swinging. you keep talking big. You know what, this year, I'm going to do this for the glory of God. And if it, God, oh. If it happened, it happened. And if it don't, God's still good. And the grace still there. Keep swinging. We will falter along the way. Every year it's inevitable. We'll get to December and we'll be like, why in the world? I'm so tired. That's okay. It's just a cycle. It's how it works, yo. But I'm not going to go to heaven with reserve in the tank. That much I do know is true. That much I do know is true. I'm not going to get there talking about, Lord, send me back. I think I still got some more left. No, sir. No way. No way. No way. No how. I'll go there, and I'll go there spent, and I'll be rested up, but I'll be in the eternal joy of my king. How about you?
Don't optimize. Not for the kingdom. Because all in means clear goals, clear wise, and evident receipts and actions. Where are you? And do you trust the grace of God that even if you falter on big promises, it's okay. It's still a abounding grace for you. You get up and you make new commitments the next year. And we keep rolling. It's the glory of God. Does it mean that much to you? If it does, would you stand to your feet with me?